If only babies were always that happy. (laughs) Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew chapter 9. This is the story of Jesus calling Matthew. And the story goes like this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. As I approach this story this morning, uh, it's been a big week for a lot of you. You had children return to school. Uh, For us, we sent our middle child off to college and moved her in on the very day we celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. And then yesterday, as I was trying to unclog a drain in my house, On the way to Lowe's and on the way home, the radiator in my truck exploded. So then I had to get a radiator and I'm trying to fix all of these things. It's been an emotional week. And of course, as I'm doing this this work around my house, I'm back and forth between the work and then the news. Where we saw unfolding in Charlottesville um, a protest group a thinly veiled group of white supremacists who were claiming the name of Christ but standing for something that is diametrically opposed to Christian faith. And then counter-protesters, some of whom were attacked violently by an automobile in what can only be called an act of terror. And this is unfolding on television during what is you know, an emotional week, a week of transition, a a big week in our country. And we come to this passage, which may give us one of the most ideal Christian responses to what's going on in our world. It may give us the antidote, in some respects, to what we've seen play out over and over again in our country and around the world. In this passage, Jesus calls us to community. I want to show you a diagram of Jesus' ministry strategy. You know, for us, we, we tend to gravitate toward large groups. At the top of this inverted pyramid, you have the, the largest number of people, but maybe the smallest actual impact. Big groups can have an impact, but it tends to be small. Whereas moving toward the bottom of that pyramid, you get into smaller groups and more intimate gatherings where the most lasting change might take place. 
And while Jesus certainly engaged the crowds, he spent most of his time near the bottom end of that pyramid. Yes, he preached and he taught to the masses and they came to hear him. But he explained his teaching in smaller groups to the 12. He, he healed in large communities, but he spent most of his time traveling and eating and sleeping with those 12 men he called to follow him everywhere he went. Jesus spent most of his time at the bottom end of this pyramid. Sometimes we judge the health of our church or our organization by how well we do at the top of that pyramid when in actuality it's the bottom part of that diagram where the most lasting life change happens and where Jesus focused his strategy. We see that in this passage where Jesus calls Matthew. Let's look at the call, the response, the result, and then the warning. First, the call. Two simple words. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. That's it. No complicated argument, no elaboration, no complex persuasion. He just says, follow me. But in those two words, there is a wealth of meaning. When Jesus said, follow me, he was saying, Matthew, there's a leader, and it's not you. He was saying that there's a way, and you don't know it. And he was saying, there's a meaning to life, but it wasn't, it isn't your idea. There's a leader, and it isn't you. There's a way, and you don't know it. The meaning of life, you didn't think it up. Matthew, you need someone to follow. You need to follow me. And this is the same calling that comes out to us. To follow Jesus is to acknowledge we aren't the leader. We don't know the way. Life is not what we make of it. And yet that's the thing that our culture impresses upon us. That's the overwhelming pressure of our society is to say that life is what you make of it. That you be your own person, be your own man, be your own woman, choose your own path. Make life what you want it to be. That's the opposite of what Jesus is calling Matthew to do in this passage. He says, follow me. Give up your life. Give up your rights. Give up your own desires, your plans, your dreams, your inclinations, and follow. When I lived, I lived in Tuscaloosa from 2001 to 2006, and there was a restaurant there called the Hong Kong King Chinese Food Buffet. And I will say it was only marginally Chinese. There were some Chinese dishes, but it was also one of these buffets that had a little bit of everything. You could get fried chicken, and you could get spaghetti, and you could get wings, and you could get donuts, and you could get banana pudding. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of that's not Chinese. And we would go because for about $6.99, I could fill up you know, my kids when they were really hungry, and when we didn't have time for meal preparation. So. We had a kind of way we did the Hong Kong King Chinese food buffet. We would uh, sit down, and the first plate, we would get a sample of all the things that we thought we might like to eat. And then, you, for the second plate, we would go back, and we would kind of load up on those things that were our favorites, right? That's how we would get full. And then the third plate was, you know, the pudding, 
or the cake or whatever else they happen to have, you know, donuts. And in this way, we certainly got full, but I'm pretty sure that's not the most nutritious, the most healthy way to eat, especially week in and week out. You know, a buffet might be okay every so often, but it's probably bad for you if that's the way you live. But so many of us treat Christian faith the way we engage in buffet-style dining. We pick and choose the things that we want. We maybe attend worship. We are marginally involved. We don't go deep into the community. We read parts of the scripture, the parts that are inspirational and make us feel good. We ignore some of the other parts that challenge us, that we don't like, that we don't understand. We pick and choose Christian faith, but that's not what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, which means we don't get to live the way we want to live. We don't get to choose the things we want to follow. We don't get to choose the ways that we obey. We follow him, plain and simple. Now look at Matthew's response. His response was immediate, total, and unconditional. It tells us he got up and followed him. That's it. Immediate, total, and unconditional. There was no hesitation on his part. He didn't say, let me think about it and get back to you tomorrow. It wasn't a partial following. He left everything he had, his associates, his family, his occupation, his beliefs, he followed. And it was unconditional. He didn't try to negotiate or barter. Well, I'll follow you, but first let me, or I'll follow you, but here are my terms. Here are my conditions. No. Immediate, total, unconditional. This is the way Matthew followed, and Matthew tells us this story because it's a way of saying that if you follow Jesus, it's the only way to follow. We don't bring our own conditions, our own terms our own negotiations to the table. We lay our lives bare before him, and he is the one who leads. We follow. Now, it's interesting to think for a moment that Matthew is there at his job. He's collecting his taxes, and Jesus comes up and utters two words, and Matthew leaves everything behind. How? Why? Who does this? Who simply up and leaves everything behind in response to two words. Some have suggested that maybe Matthew knew Jesus, had heard of Jesus, had perhaps been paying attention to him, and had come to this crucial point in his life where he was ready to follow. That's a possibility, but the the Bible doesn't tell us that any of that happened. Here's another possibility. Luke, uh, Matthew was a publican. He was a tax collector, which means that he collected revenue for the Roman government, and therefore he was despised. Despised by Jews because he worked for a, he was considered a traitor. He worked for an occupying enemy empire. And despised by non-Jews and Jews alike because part of his job involved collecting a surplus over the tax that was owed that he used to pay his own salary, and he had great discretion over how much that surplus might be. And so for wealthier people who he thought might afford it, maybe that surcharge was higher. For others, certainly more than they wanted to pay. And so Matthew got rich at the expense of the people from whom he collected taxes, and he was hated for it, as were other tax collectors, which is why tax collectors in the Gospels, especially in Matthew and Luke, they're often grouped together. It's 
in quotes, tax collectors and sinners. In fact, tax collectors were a special, unique group of sinners. And yet, this is the person Jesus goes to. This is the person who leaves everything and follows. This is the person held up to us as an example of what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe he'd come to the place where as a marginalized person, an ostracized person, a hated person, his life was desperate so that he understood his need for Jesus and he followed. This is the kind of person Jesus went after. This wasn't the typical person who rabbis sought as students, as pupils. No, rabbis in the rabbinic tradition of the ancient world and in that same tradition today, they seek students who are studious, students who are diligent, students who know the law well, students who have shown that they are bright and exceptional, talented, worthy to be called. Matthew was none of these things because Jesus was looking for something else. Jesus went to those who were marginalized on the fringes of society. He called them to be his followers, and from that group of people, he changed the world. Do we, like Jesus, seek out those kind of people, those who we might consider on the margins, those that we might neglect, those who are ostracized from the mainstream? Those not like us, those around whom we are uncomfortable, those whose beliefs differ from ours, those whose beliefs might actually offend us in some way. Do we seek community with that kind of population? Jesus did. The call was to follow. The response was immediate, total, unconditional. The result, the scripture tells us that Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. This, this phrase is mentioned almost in passing, and perhaps in our culture we don't think much about that because dinners for us can be a pretty casual affair. I know sometimes I serve up a meal at my house and the kids grab it and they disperse to some other part of the house where they're going to continue doing what they're doing. Sometimes we serve up meals and it's a, you know, everybody needs to sit down and we're gonna have a family meal together and we put away our cell phones. You know, we're, we're kind of hit and miss on the formality of meals, but a meal in this context was a, an intimate affair. It was an important and significant event. To share a meal with someone was to share closeness and intimacy and community. It is not an accident that the Gospels mention that Jesus had meals with people, meals with the outcasts, meals with the tax collectors and, center, and sinners. He shared intimacy with them, not just his time, but his, his love and his care and his attention. The result of following Jesus is that we invite others to follow Jesus as Matthew did. The result of following Jesus is that we find ourselves in community. The result of following Jesus is that we find ourselves around people we might never have been around otherwise. This was a strange dinner party. This was a dinner party of people who, apart from Jesus, would have had nothing to do with one another. First of all, as a rabbi, Jesus would not have associated, typically rabbis would not have associated with any of these kinds of folks. And yet, in Jesus' closest company, you had fishermen, 
right? A dirty, smelly, hard, arduous occupation. Not the most glamorous jobs you could have. Two of those fishermen, James and John, had a nickname. Their nickname was Sons of Thunder, like gangsters, like some sort of biker gang. Who, who gets this nickname, Sons of Thunder? One of Jesus' followers was a zealot, which means that ideologically he was committed to the overthrow of the Roman Empire, violently if necessary. And another of Jesus' followers, Matthew, was a former employee of the Roman government. Imagine that conversation. And these are the people who Jesus brings into Matthew's house to have a meal with tax collectors and sinners. The most unlikely group of people imaginable. And yet that's what following Christ does. It brings us into connection with people we might not have anything in common with. It brings us not only into a place where we sit side by side and listen, but into places where we gather in circles facing each other and sharing our lives and our stories, doing life together, being engaged in this kind of intimate community is what results when people truly follow after Christ. And now the warning. Because you see, the religious leaders of the time were critical of what they saw happening here. This was threatening behavior. This defied both religious and societal norms. And so they criticized what Jesus was doing. And so he gives them a warning. He says, go learn what this means. I love the fact that Jesus tells the most educated people of his time, go learn. You still don't get it. For all of your knowledge, for all of your training, for your memorization of the scriptures, you still don't get it. Go learn. And he quotes from the book of Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They would have heard sacrifice as a reference to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. The over 640 rules and regulations that guided ancient Israelite worship, that were the guideposts for the Jewish religion. And they would have understood that illusion. And, and Jesus is saying, I desire something more than that. I desire mercy. It was possible, in this case likely, that those who knew the law best were those who had missed the spirit of the law the most. They understood, they had memorized, they knew it forward and backward, and yet they'd missed the key component of mercy. And Jesus said, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire compassion, not just rule following. I desire character, not just right behavior. Because you see, if you judge the people around you based on how well they conform to your own set of standards, to your religious beliefs, how well they behave, the way that these in the story were, if that's the way you judge people, of course, that kind of legalism will fragment us from one another. That kind of legalism is the sort of legalism that leads to violent confrontations between people who disagree. It's the kind of ideology that leads you to look down at others and consider them less than you when they are people created in God's image. And yet, when you 
choose mercy, when you lead with compassion, when that's the way you choose to interact with the people around you, then you find true community. Then you find the thing that God desires, mercy, not sacrifice. At the bottom of that inverted pyramid where the numbers are the fewest and the impact is the greatest, there is mercy. There's face-to-face friendship and understanding where you learned to know and to love each other. That is what happens when we follow after Christ. I enjoy listening to podcasts, and one of the podcasts I listen to is called the TED Radio Hour. TED is an organization. TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. Uh, TED.com is a website which is a compendium of TED Talks given all over the world on all sorts of subjects, uh, science and entertainment and business and inventions and technologies and all sorts of uh, subjects, and they're fascinating little talks. Uh, There's one that has haunted me ever since I saw it first, and now I show it to all of my freshmen in class each fall when I teach, and the title of the TED Talk is Connected But Alone. And Sherry Turkle, who delivers this TED Talk, makes the point that we are the most technologically advanced people who have ever walked on this earth. We are more connected than we have ever been, and yet more alone, isolated. We expect more and more from our technology, and we expect less and less from each other. Connected but alone. To follow Jesus is to have a better way of life than that. It's to be intimately connected in smaller groups, in gatherings where true life change happens around people who are different from us, who aren't like us, who apart from Christ might not ever be a part of our lives, but because we are following Christ, and others are following Christ with us. We are joined together. This is the way the gospel message works. Because every one of us in this room were once ostracized. We were once alienated. We were ourselves sinners on the margins. And God called us to follow, and God has brought us in by his grace. And he has saved us, and he has extended to us his mercy so that we extend our mercy to others. We love because he first loved us. We are merciful because he was merciful to us. And when we do, we find life the way it was meant to be lived. Let's pray. Our God, we are humbled by the fact that you called us not because We deserved it, not because we were worthy, not because of our abilities or our behavior or our accomplishments, but you called us because you were a God who loves and a God who extends his grace to people who don't deserve it. So may that reality shape the way we see one another in a world filled with hate and bitterness Help us to show mercy to the people around us. Help us to find those groups 
where intimate connections with one another and with you can best take place. You have called us to community. Help us to call each other to that way of life that honors the Christ we follow. In his name we pray. Amen.